0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the fourth chapter of the Perthian Chronicles. I'm your chronicler, Ryan Morano, and without further ado, we have Susie Conti. Yes? (laughs) Um, As this episode's author, welcome. First, I want to say that I'm thrilled and nervous to have Susie on, because not only does Susie hold a degree in Italian language and literature from University College London... And a master's degree in classical and ancient studies from Berwick College, University of London. She is also currently studying another master's degree uh, sorry another master's degree in performing arts at Wapper, while also directing Whopper productions of A View from a Bridge, Arthur Miller, and William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night and The Tempest. Susie has been the artistic director of Tempest Productions since 2010 with directing productions such as Jean Genet's The Maids at the Subiaco Arts Centre, and most recently adapting Molly Skinner's autobiography Sparrow and Charlotte Perkins' Gilman's novella The Yellow Wallpaper for Perth's Fringe World Festival stage. Susie, benvenuta. Thank
1: you. Grazie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As we were speaking before, reading this very small biography, you've studied a lot. I have. I'm um, much older
1: than you, though, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an old lady. <laughs> uh,
0: um, do you feel like right now, in the year 2017, do you feel like you're studying? You, you finally, you've, you've got the degree. You, you're studying what you, that you, that, not that you want or are, but you feel right?
1: I do. I think I had to do all of that to be at this point now. I went and did Italian at, at university just after school because I married an Italian man and um, I was always going to do languages. I love languages, and I thought Italian would be the perfect choice to be able to communicate with my in-laws, but also to know my husband's country. Yeah. Um, when I finished that degree, I didn't want to enter the real world, so I continued studying ancient civilization, so classics, and came out of that and promptly sort of went and had a family. So it took me out of the world a little bit for a while. In all that time I had been acting at school, I'd been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with a show, I had been doing a lot of stuff at uni, um, but came back after sort of having my two children and thinking, where do I want to be in life? And that was always back in theatre. So began producing and directing my own shows and have developed from that into actually adapting and trying to write my own stuff. So it's a big process that happens. At the minute I am doing my Masters in Directing um, here at WAPA and it's allowed me the chance to assistant direct on quite a few shows here but also to hone what I'm doing and get a bit better at what I'm doing and it's a safe place to learn from what you've done and from the BPAs and from the actors. So I think I'm right where I need to be right now.
0: That's great to hear. Mm. One thing I'm going to reveal in this fourth chapter of the Perthian Chronicles, I have an immense love of Shakespeare. Same here. <laughs> I know. That's why I wanted you to have you on. Um, like, I wanted to ask... I'm going to ask it. Bugger it. Um, I would like to note that there is, while recording this, there is a child in the room, sees his <laughs> wonderful son, um, and hopefully one day he'll listen to this and learn... I don't some know, new words. Some, some, some new words. Do you have a favourite Shakespeare play?
1: Do you know what? I really love The Tempest. I I did it at school, and it was sort of my big moment, and that's why I named my company Tempest, Mm. and getting to do this all over again this year with the third years was fantastic to revisit a play that I love. But I'm a tragedy girl. I do love my Macbeths and my Hamlets. I loved Virgin of Venice when I studied it at school, and I'm about to see a production of As You Like It, which, again, was the first play I ever read by Shakespeare. So... It's very exciting. I, 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 there's no Shakespeare I don't like, but it's the tragedies I think I'm more drawn to. Are you um,
0: watching that tonight? No. Oh, good. Because that starts <laughs> at 7 o'clock. In no, the no, times. no, I'm, um,
1: I'm going to the matinee on Saturday. Is there uh, a matinee? There's a matinee on Saturday. So my friend, my other directing cohort, um, Nicole, is directing oh, it.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember um, last year she conducted, she helped with the BPA um, uh, winter workshops That's when right. we are coming back, transitioning. She's
1: fantastic. Singing, yeah so for her Shakespeare is a lot like learning singing There's the, the language and the poetry of it and the rhyme and rhythm and stuff so she's a pretty ins- inspirational Shakespearean person too um, but yeah no it's my love and it's actually after I finish my masters I'd like to do a PhD in Shakespeare um, Yeah, so I've adapted Shakespeare as well I like to sort of take it and convert it into something a little bit more bite sized I think he's as relevant today as he has ever been
0: yeah, yeah, because that's what... I, I was just curious, where do you sit on the fence? Like, do you see yourself? Yeah, do you believe, no, Shakespeare shall not be touched, it shall be performed, the, the massive five acts, and um, no no changing of gender, of the roles. No, every, every, all 13 characters shall be played by mm. 20, you know, actors.
1: I um, think there's a place for everything. I mm. think that if someone wants to do the five acts, I'll sit there and I'll watch it and I'll enjoy every minute. If they want to do it in costume, all the better. Um I personally think audiences probably respond a little bit better nowadays to shorter and punchier. And a lot of his language and his jokes and some of the stuff that he was writing for aren't relevant nowadays. He used to put in, you know, massive scenes to to please the you know the groundlings and things like yeah. that. So I think he, he, in however anyone wants to produce and direct Shakespeare is fine by me. You know, it, it's not a new thing. People have been adapting and taking elements of Shakespeare since he wrote his plays in any way it can be done in any way that makes children especially want to come and see it so before I did the Tempest this time around I made my kids do a book report on it so that they could come and watch it and actually see what it's about and you know if they take away two things from it then that's all I need and they used to quote you know Macbeth back at me when I was doing it so (laughs) I figure if they hear it and it's part of their their, um, language um, colloquially I think they'll think it's something that's accessible so I think it has to be started young But there's something in the poetry of his language that moves me. And it still does. And, you know, every night the same passage will move me. So there's something very special in that.
0: I feel like you could keep, definitely, because I remember there's times like... See, I'm sort of a... not really a... yeah. I'm a latecomer to Shakespeare in regards to, you know, the classical actors because I'm just an absolute nut. This is also my other pastiche. I love, you know, Sir John Gielgud... and uh, Ellen Terry and mm. Dame, Dame Sybil Thorndyke and Dame mm. Peggy Ashcroft and you know, and they and it seemed to me how you know in the early 20th century they were introduced to Shakespeare quite early on. Mm. Referring to Sir John Gilgood, you know his his first paid gig was at age 14. At and see, this is why I'd like to talk about like like how in the early 20th century I know you know there was less people back then, but I find it. Brilliant how John Gilgood wasn't paid, but he went on the old Vic Theatre and he only did like he was a spear carrier at age 14, though, mm. but with a professional production. And I feel like you can't, that can't happen today.
1: Theatre's changed. Theatre used to be a sort of rep company kind of concept, and um, there were. Less, opp- there were more opportunities then for things like that, for starting in the ranks and working your way up. With how many drama schools there are now, I don't think there's enough space for anyone to start doing that. You're expected to have gone to drama school and not just start off. I think times have changed, and I think that's okay. I think Shakespeare can go through all its different incarnations, and we can learn from what happened before, but update if we want to. And I think this—it's—it's it's, it's such a rich mm. tapestry for us to build to to take from that. You know, the fact that you're how old are you
0: I'm 22 you're
1: 22 and you you know you like Sir John Gilgood I think that's amazing and we're lucky that we have all of his yeah. stuff that we can still see and you know I I watch the Globe Theatre shows online and I I'm so grateful that I have that opportunity the National Theatre stuff that gets shown here at Luna Leaderville is a gift I think the more you know, I had great teachers of Shakespeare, just even from a simple English literature point of view. My parents loved Shakespeare. My parents performed in Shakespeare when they were at school. So there's, when you have someone who loves it, that passion comes across. And I'm hugely passionate about passing that on to other people and saying, just give it a chance, and you don't have to understand every single word. But just get lulled into his poetry, and there's something beautiful about it. So it starts with teachers, it starts at school. Um, it starts with going to the theatre to see anything. I took my son last night to see um, Frankenstein, the new Co3 production. Hey. Oh, it was brilliant! And you know, it was made for kids, so I took him. needs ten, and he he turned to me at one point and said, "That's a bit random," but he enjoyed it. And it's it's. I think people need to just, if they love theatre, pass it on to anyone, and try and convince people that it's more than what they think they've seen. It's a bit hard here in Australia, especially in Perth. I grew up in London. London has. Mm. 9,000 oh, yeah. productions on, you know? <laughs> yeah. But no, I think we're, we're, I think it's exciting. I think it's an exciting time to still, you know... I've forgotten the original question now. But anyway, yes, I think keep going and keep loving Shakespeare and go to the theatre and, yeah, look at stuff online. If you can't get to a theatre, that's no excuse. There's so many options available to us to see stuff.
0: See, what was wonderful... I think, yeah, it was last, last weekend. I went and watched... um castrat Dance, they did... One, flat, one thing. flat
1: thing reproduced. Th-
0: it reproduced. It was free at the State Theatre Courtyard, and it only went for fifteen minutes. And but the amount of people that it's a, it was yeah packed fully mm. full full house. And apparently on Wednesday Wednesday night they had four hundred people there
1: mm. on a Wednesday night. Why not? Because people are out. The cultural centre is getting is improving. Yeah. There's there's bars and restaurants and there there's I think if it was more accessible, if if things didn't cost $85 a ticket, people would go. And we did The Tempest in the courtyard. Mm. And when we bumped in and we had a few days of rehearsing there and tech rehearsals, the number of people who walked past and came in and had a look and we'd say, oh, you can come back for the real performance, you know, on whatever. They were so keen. And there's something wonderful about... So, for instance, Fringe is wonderful because it's something going on all the time and, you know, outdoor festivals and Frio does the sort of um, heritage festivals and the street theatre. And The more you can see, the more you can decide what you like and then aim to... Some people think it's too big. I don't know theatre, so I'm not even going to try. So you have to find a pathway in. And if that's burlesque, that's burlesque. If it's comedy, it's comedy. And there's ways of coming into theatre. I think there's a huge need and want for theatre in people's lives. They just
0: don't know that they need it yet. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just curious, like, I, I think Fringe, because I talk a lot about Fringe in the previous chapters, because um, obviously as a person who, in the future, and has had uh, personal investment, you know, i.e. doing a show, performing yeah. in it, being an audience member, I think as an audience member it would be great if I could buy a pass, a big pass, and I'd pay, you know, I don't know, mm. a thousand like, dollars, mm. but I could see... You know, every show at Fringe, this pass could allow me...
1: I know what you mean. The thing is we get our passes when we perform yeah. in Fringe and I still don't see half the stuff because no, when no. you're, I'd almost like a year off from Fringe to just be a consumer, as you were talking yeah. before, is to just be a sponge and take things in. It's so much time and effort for very little back in terms of money and stuff. I love what I do, but there are times where it's so exhausting to try and get something up and running that I don't see enough and I think I'm, I'm the poorer for it. But I'm quite different. I'm I'm not that interested in burlesque, and comedy, and all that kind of stuff. I like my pure theatre. <laughs> I like to watch something that moves me. I don't mind. Qu- I like quiet theatre. Yeah. Um, I don't need bells and whistles. You know, if you can, I watched the first years here do a, a closed session of cymbeline, the first uh, year actors, wow. and it was beautiful. And it was yeah. done with a couple of chairs and one skirt that they moved around the different actresses to do the part, and it was beautiful. Yeah. And so I'm a big believer, certainly running my own production company that has no money, in do it with as little as you can. And sometimes that's more interesting than all the bells and whistles and budgets.
0: Well, actually, I'm going to skip because I had all these questions, but I want to, since you mentioned Tempest Productions, and this is also another reason why I'm very fortunate for Susie coming here, because she's going, and Tempest Productions are going to America with Sparrow. And I would like to talk a little about uh, Sparrow Which was Molly Skinner's autobiography. So, Susie and Tempest, as I'm reading, I've got a script prepared, so don't worry, Ryan, because of these previous episodes. Because it's funny when you do this, because you go, because how my brain works is like I've got like these lot of thoughts, and I'm a bit of a scatterbrain.
1: But sometimes good things come from that, so you have to have both ways. You have to
0: judge. Yeah. And then you have to sacrifice a small part. No, no. No, I don't. it's not time for that. Yeah. It's not time for that. This is much more important mm. to record. Um, sorry. Susie and Tempest Productions will be taking Sparrow to the Hollywood Fringe Festival from the 23rd to the 25th of June and also to the San Diego Fringe Festival from the 26th to the 2nd of July. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. Have you been to America before? I have. So as part of my
1: thesis, I have it at a couple of stages for this production since I was writing it and then performing in it, and I took it to Perth and Adelaide. Then I've come out of this, and I'm now rewriting, and I wanted a second place that we could take it. And I went, happened to go to L.A. and San Diego a couple of years ago with my family. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if I'm going to go somewhere, where do I go? Edinburgh's a bit too big. I'm not well known enough. Edinburgh is one of those festivals that's amazing, but you need to have a bit more of a uh, an experience and you know, like backing behind you to be honest. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at all the places that I could go that could take something that I would also enjoy going to, and I happened to see that there was a San Diego Fringe, and I thought, "Go on, we'll have a go," and got into that, and then was chatting to the guy on Skype, Kevin. And he said, you know there's a Hollywood Fringe? And I said, yeah, but I think we're missing the date. He said, no, 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 I know a guy. So (laughs) managed to put me in touch with a guy. So we're now doing two nights there and then the rest in San Diego. And he happened to come to Perth, Kevin, because he, as part of San Diego Fringe, was coming to Perth, Adelaide, and then he went over into Auckland for their Fringe. Wow. So he's actually checking out how we are doing our Fringe festivals and take that information back to San Diego and grow it. So I was able to meet him while he was here and, and have a long chat about how Fringe works there. And they run it in a completely different way from us.
0: How did they run it?
1: So the city gets a bit much more involved, I think, and they give us 100% of the box office. So that's oh. all, the opportunity of 100% yeah. of the box office. And we, we pay an upfront fee and then nothing else, which is kind of interesting. And, on, and you know, it's, it's kudos to the... We're, we're, st- we're actually performing in an international house in L.A., run by a production company, so it's all international acts. And then in San Diego, we're actually in the Spreckles Theatre, which is kind of a famous theatre in San Diego. Cool. It's a 100-seater, proper theatre. Oh,
0: wow. I mean,
1: we're getting, you know, the royal treatment. It's beautiful. So it's very exciting to go there and perform. And he says that we should get good audiences because they like international acts. So yeah. we'll see. But it, that's much smaller than Perth Fringe. So, yeah, it was kind of a little bit of um, have-a-go and it's kind of happening, and now it's kind of scary. <laughs> oh, that's
0: fantastic, yeah. travelling. And are they part of the Fringe World franchise? They are. Uh, yeah. are. Ah, OK. So
1: there's more fringes than you yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's some in all kinds of different places, but I, I figured coming back to Perth with something that has toured is more helpful to me in Perth, because Perth is such a small town, and everyone does the kind of same fringe circuit, and I thought, let's just try something a little bit different and see how we do. So it's a little bit of... Why not let's go? And I've been there, so I thought I'll kind of know it, so it won't be too scary. Um, and it's also a bit of um, this is what I want to do. I want to just travel and do weird things and have
0: a go. For me, as, uh, as an audience member, as a human being, mm-hmm. and as a, an emerging artist, I'm happy to say that in 2017 Perth, we have a group such as Tempest Productions, the Maiden Voyage Theatre Company, yeah. and this other group, the Open Lid Ensemble. That's right who are, and these companies, I find them, they are focused, passionate, and dedicated to an important cause, mm. the advocacy of women's, uh, of women. Of women's stories. Oh, women's of, stories.
1: There are some, some really amazing women in this town. Mm. Women's stories, like with any of these, we're not minorities, but with any of these kind of minority issues, the more they are represented on stage, the more they are, the stories are told, the more universal they become. And we as a global community can get behind them I didn't start off like that I knew I wanted to make shows for women but i have now dedicated to making stories for women by women and about women and that's become my kind of focus in the last couple of years I've worked with some great men this is not man bashing in any way no. but it's just let's let's do something a little bit different there isn't enough gender parity
0: no.
1: um, there's a lot being done for it but I, I think you have to lead by example and I'm a woman who you know, I'm 38 years old. I'm, I'm not a young emerging artist. I, I think I have something to say. I find life really interesting, and I think women should be championed. And I've found that I haven't even met the ladies at, at Maiden Voyage yet, but I think what they're doing is fantastic, and I think their work is fantastic. And I think it can't hurt the more people who are doing something to advocate for what they believe in, I think is important. So, yay, long may it continue.
0: Yeah, well, I think as Preparing for this um, conversation, I was walking out in the park and I was reading my you know, little speech and I was thinking about... Because it's literally a domino effect. Mm. Although women aren't... They're a majority... You're tech, you know, t- uh, statistically population-wide, mm. they are a majority. But mm. are, they are represented in a minority sense. And I think it's wonderful in Perth to have it. And, it, and the reason why I, I draw a lot of inspiration from the Tempest uh, Productions, the Maiden Voyage Company and the Open Lid Ensemble is because they are championing an important cause passionately. Mm. And passion gives me inspiration as an artist. Absolutely.
1: And I can tell you something that I found that I didn't know if it would happen is how much it doesn't hurt to champion each other it doesn't diminish me to champion their ideas because I think we're all doing it for a common good and what they do doesn't take away from me. And I have found some of the women in this town to have been hugely supportive. You know, I, I, I had eight years off well, I had children and I've come back into this fairly green and wanting to know who people are in Perth. I didn't grow up here, so I didn't know people. And I've met some incredible ladies who are happy to include me and pass on what they know and be and i think that's wonderful and i i intend to do the same thing but it, it doesn't hurt and it sometimes can be that we're all up against each other you know because we are in a cutthroat world of someone has to succeed and someone has to fail and i'm fully sort of advocating that we should all support each other um and i happen to come to it from a woman's angle and I'm raising two boys and I hope that they will be feminists and I hope they come and see shows about women and find them interesting and it doesn't, shouldn't diminish them to raise up women. So long may it continue, I think the more women can support each other and put each other on stage and, and tell interesting stories, not the 20-something story but the 30-something, the 40-something. I've got a woman who um, wants to tell a story, and she's in her 70s. And I think her story's amazing. If you heard it, you'd, you'd just be amazed. And so, why not? I, want, I kind of want the forgotten women, not the beautiful blonde, you know, um, actress, but, but people who are, have a really
0: interesting story to tell. I'm fascinated about yeah. that story. I'd love to hear it. I'll tell about. you all about it. <laughs> oh, good,
1: good. Hopefully it'll be on at Fringe next year. I'm hoping to run my own venue at Fringe next year, which is all women's stories. Oh. So I've got a venue, but I'm trying to put it all together. And she's contacted me through a friend and said I'd love to do it. She's, been, she's done, this is a third of a trilogy of one-woman shows she's made about her life.
0: Oh, my god! I know, so
1: I thought, good honour. Oh. And we're looking at, um, hopefully, some, I've contacted an imm- you know, immigrant storytelling group and seeing if there's someone there who wants to come and act in something at Fringe, and let's get every every women's story. Why not? Yeah.
0: 2018 yeah. is going to be a wonderful year, I think, for Fringe.
1: I it's think going to be so. It's really interesting. I think it's had some growing pains, and I think it's getting there. So um, I love to be part of it. I, I don't see enough stuff, and I, I no. literally come away from Fringe with 7,000 shows, and I see, I've seen 10. But how wonderful, how wonderful it is for Perth. I think it could be better in terms of how it allows us to make a living doing things like this a little mm. bit, but... That's a whole other story.
0: It is certainly a a whole other story, and I think this can be the case for the whole entire of Australia. Mm. I don't think there's enough importance in the arts or culture and how, even in a business sense, it can make money. Of course it can. In fact, I
1: don't know if you saw that Black Swan have just signed an initiative with um, Mindaroo, I think it is, to create a sum of money that can give it long-term goals. So Rio Tinto have had a 20-year relationship with Black Swan, and, and it's, that's done really well. So yeah, there's, there's a way of, of bringing business into it. I, I get scared of business only because I think it will take away the creativity, And sometimes being on a shoestring is interesting. And in fact, the yellow wallpaper at um, Fringe with Kylie, who you know, she broke her foot two days. <laughs> <laughs> she broke her foot two days before we opened, and we had to change it all around, and it was better for it. Um, so I try and take these moments where it goes, oh, no, and, and actually something amazing comes out of it, and, and I, I like... So I work better without a budget. I think I do really well without a budget because I think you manage in a wholly different way.
0: Well, I think a lot of artists can. Mm. Wouldn't it be funny if, um, like, a major... Um, like, say, for instance, a Sydney Theatre Company, for example, they're saying, OK, guys, your production budget for this year is zero dollars. Mm. What will you do? Go make something. I think it would be interesting. That would be fascinating. Yeah.
1: Because sometimes you hear about these, you know, some of the things that major theatre companies that are sort of $300,000 budgets. Mm. I wouldn't even know what to do with that kind of money. I'd like to try one day, but I think, you know, you can throw money at at something. It doesn't always make it right. So anyway, that's where I come from. I come from an independent theatre company that that doesn't have any money and we make do. And I think some of the stuff we've done has been better for it because it, it distills it down into its essence and it's quiet and it's contained, that's where I come from. If someone gave me $300,000, I'm sure I'd be able to spend it, though.
0: Mm. <laughs> oh, I think <laughs> I, I don't know. They'd get to a point, um, the tenth so far, I don't know if it's, no, let's scrap it. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, see, I think the problem is if you have too much money, you'd get to a point where, yeah, we'll, we'll bring it in rehearsal, we'll mm. practice it, and then you sort of, in a devising, or no, yeah, in, in any theatre sense... You know, you'd be rehearsing with, uh, I don't know, an elephant. like, actually, it's not really practical having an elephant. we will get to rid do of something with and... an elephant. <laughs> <Awesome>.
1: <laughs> oh. But you can tell, I certainly can tell. Uh, sets don't bother me too much and costumes don't bother me too much. But I, you can really tell when money's spent on, like, lighting design and sound design. That's when I go, oh, I wish I had the money for that kind of thing. Because I don't know if you saw Betroffenheit no, no. at PF this year. It was amazing. And it's sound and lighting was Incredible. Mm. In fact, Tosca as well, recently oh, I went yeah, to Tosca and I, I reviewed it and it was its lighting was one of the best I've ever seen. So that's interesting and it's something I never noticed when I went to the theatre when I was younger, but now I really go, oh, man, I wish I had that budget <laughs> still.
0: It's really interesting. Like Also, I think another important person in, now that you've just mentioned reviewing, mm. I think another important uh, figure in the Perth's art scene is the reviewer. Yes to publicise shows, to, to, you know, lift the rock. Because, you know, some people don't see the Perth theatre scene, you know, the vast majority. Just have, it's all by accident.
1: It can be, yeah. We've had a lot... Look, Perth's been in a funny position. It's lost a lot of theatres in the last ten years. And I think reviewers, it's lost some reviewers as well. Mm. So I actually went into reviewing to hone my skills as a theatre maker mm. to watch other people's shows. I used to go to shows and just be like, I don't like it and go home and not think about it anymore and now I have to go why didn't I like it and you know do I have to like it for it to be a good production and so it's it's forced me to be much more analytical towards shows so I did that deliberately to learn a new skill and it also forces me to go see shows I try and pick shows I would never normally go to to see how other people do things you can get stuck in your own little world of how you do things and I went and saw a lot of one woman shows at Fringe um so it's interesting to sort of step out of your comfort zone and and watch stuff and decide whether any of it relates to you and inevitably it does there's always something in that that you can go that was really interesting and it just you file it away in your you know storage cabinet of ideas and go oh that was done really well how can i play around with that idea and and adapt it to me so also i get you know it's hard there's, we don't have a lot of money and sometimes going to a lot of shows costs a lot of money so yeah i think there should be certainly easier access for people to go and see stuff. But Yeah, I think reviewing's a really interesting concept.
0: Is that that's Perth Arts Live you review for? Mm. Perth Arts Live? Yeah, because... Yeah, yeah, Do you haven't... know Cicely? No. She's
1: oh. um, been reviewing here for years, and she's an actress as well, and she's got a really interesting take. She does a lot of musical stuff as well, and I, I sort of said to her one day, if you ever want to review her, you know, <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. And... Um, and she did, and I think she's got a little stable of people who go, and we, so we can see a lot more theatre in Perth. There's so much going on now yeah. with, compared to a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting skill to be learning. I'm still learning it, uh, and I don't always get it right, but um, I'm, I'm certainly much more analytical when I'm looking at a show now. Mm. Um, and I don't just go, I liked it. Yeah. Or dismiss it because I didn't like it and kind of walk away go, oh, I didn't like that. But actually, go. Why didn't I like it? And what did work? And what what you know? What would I do differently as a director? And so it's a kind of interesting skill.
0: I'm curious because last week, after I watched um, one flat thing, mm. one flat yes, one flat, one flat thing reproduced. One flat thing reproduced. Yeah. I also went. I watched a community theatre production of Cinderella. Oh, lovely! Um, but it's not a pantomime, and they uh, at the Garrick Theatre really. It, to be honest, it was really good. Mm. I'm um, just five There's some amazing community theatre oh, in this okay, town. I started in community yeah, theatre right
1: because I didn't know how to get an in, and mm-hmm. I found probably some of the most dedicated teams and crews and, and actors, and, and actually some of the best actors I've seen have been in community theatre and just don't have the will to push it any further, or time or energy, or they don't want to be actors. They just enjoy doing it that way. And so I have a lot of time for the community theatre scene here.
0: Exactly the same here. Like There's this, there's this wonderful... like. Um Remarkable performances in community theatre. Mm. And I've had a mix of like meeting people who just do it for the love. Absolutely. Just and they do, they,
1: they do some really interesting...
0: Equus was performed
1: oh, yes. a couple of years ago. I mean, really interesting, yeah. deep theatre. It's not just, you know, um, musicals and comedies. There's some really interesting... I've said interesting like 900 times in this oh, conversation, okay. so I apologise. I don't have a thesaurus on me. But some really deep theatre is trying to be made. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. And that's allowing a, a huge community theatre audience to expand their knowledge of theatre as well.
0: Actually, because, yeah, yeah, it does... Yeah, they say, OK, oh, we watched you know Cinderella at the Garrick and actually there's something on at the State Theatre Centre so, yeah. and the Blue Room Theatre. Yeah. And so... But I wanted to say with Cinderella, it was a wonderful, a tight ensemble, these wonderful five actors. And it was just a wonderful piece of work. But mm. it's funny... I'm trying to phrase this question. I'm trying to be smart and as I you know jiggle my hands around my head to <laughs> sort of gesture, I don't know, create that a, a thought provoking question. I was watching it and I was like dissecting it like huh? when when I graduated this course, you know, one of the important things that I left that I learned, as you mentioned before in reviewing, it is to dissect Absolutely. the performance, to help better your own practice. I think so. But I feel like I was watching it and I, I was enjoying it on one level I was enjoying it, and I was, I was learning a lot from it, because, you know, the power of the ensemble. Oh, and it was a simple set, not much, just a couple of... Tr- just two trees, two tree columns, and you could use it as furniture. Really super, super easy, and you could really follow the story that way. So the design was wonderful. But I, I, was, I was thinking to myself, you know what? I'm not enjoying theatre as I used to when I was a young kid. Mm. The magic is sort of gone. Do, do you know? You know how the you see the wizard, but you know the, there is a wizard behind that cur- uh, curtain.
1: Yeah, I think that happens because when you work in theatre, you start, I, I certainly am the same. I can't go watch a show now and not dissect it because that's what I do, and that's what we do now as theatre makers. We are always looking at how other people do things and and either reflect on it in our own practice or it doesn't work. So therefore, we're kind of judging it on a on a different level. I would love to go and see something now and just be like. oh, I love yeah. But it's um, it's part of what what you do now, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But yeah, we do lose, so we, we do lose a little bit of the magic. But then when there is a magical show, I think it hits us even harder. So I yeah. think there's something more powerful in it. So I know people who go and everything they see they love, and that's wonderful. But I've seen a couple of shows recently that have really blown me away, and I think well, that's to, to, for I'm a little bit jaded. You know, I can look at things and go. Oh, I can do better than that, which is <laughs> yeah. awful, and I shouldn't really be saying that. But So when I do see something, that I just go, that's beautiful. It's so much more compelling for me because I know how hard it is to put that kind of effort into place, and I know how hard they've worked for design and lighting and, and the actors, and so I know... what We all know what goes into a show, and when it really works, it, it's a joy to behold, and it's why... I, look, ch- theatre for me is a church. Mm, yes. Any time I walk into that's a theatre and the lights go down, that's my communion, and every time I want to come out of it going, that was, that was the one that reminds me of why I do this. And so when it doesn't, that's why it gets a little bit frustrating, but when it does, it's, like, it's holy. It's, um, yeah. it's beautiful.
0: Well, yeah, it's talking back to, you know, the yeah, tradition of ritual and, and then dark play. Oh, and, and it's, yeah,
1: it's lights and it's sound and sometimes there's candles and there's smells and it's wonderful. It's totally um, holy to me. Well,
0: because I think, yeah, thinking back, because I, I, I was raised Catholic and I think that's how I first, yeah, got into the yeah the theatre pageantry, yeah, it, pageantry, yeah. and the ritual, and the priest with the incense and yeah. and the whole and the and, the, and not, yeah the sense of community as well, mm. uh, the audience. Oh, there's
1: nothing better when you sit in an audience and you watch it, and everyone's in the same moment with you mm. that you're hopefully experiencing the same thing as you do. And it's wonderful to be an actor on a stage. And you'll know that when you've performed in a show that has multiple um, um, seasons or multiple sessions that you go... Every night the audience is different and they are... Like, you can go in something that kills it one night and the next night it's so flat and then the next night it, they laugh in different places and there's something so wonderful about the changeability of that. And they, it is... An audience is like a... I always call it like an ectoplasm, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that moves in sync and how you can sometimes be the conductor that helps move it. And, oh, look, I could talk about theatre forever. I love oh. it.
0: Well, <laughs> oh. yeah, well, this part, that's why I watch you. That's why I do this, because I don't have anyone else to talk to theatre about. No, it. I know, that's family. it. You've got to or find your friends friends family. You know? the, the, the... Well, actually, no, no, I shouldn't say that. No, most of my friends are theatre people. Yeah, but no, my, But my family aren't.
1: I tell you, that's what happened when I came here. Was And the four of us, we're all, um, you know... We're not twenty somethings; we're all thirty, forty somethings, mm. and we're all women, which is wonderful. And we've all came here. In, I think in the first couple of weeks, we sat down in the grindhouse and we chatted about being at Whopper, and we all said we've come home. It feels like home, and that's because we can sit here and talk about theatre and the light. We can talk about lighting design for an hour, and you know, you know that that shoe that she was wearing, and talk about the shoe, <laughs> and it's so specific, and we all love it, and that's why we're here. So there's something lovely about that community. So, yeah, I feel like I'm at home here and I can talk about... I have friends who have no idea what I do. But I am lucky to come from a family that loves loves theatre as much as I do, so that helps. But, yeah, this is my family here.
0: I'm very interested because as I... Because one day in the future, like, I'd love to direct. um, Of course you should. I'd like to explore that. Just just direct. I'd be very curious because I've never... I've I've assisted directed before, but I've never directed production myself.
1: Oh, it's a bit of a high. You must do it yeah. it 's wonderful it 's wonderful, I mean if you you come up with an idea and you, you get to put it into action it 's all in your head, and mm-hmm. there 's something wonderful about it i, I wouldn't i know i'm 'm a better director for having come here, but I, I'm, I've started writing and I know i 'm not as good as a writer as I am a director and oh it 's a high it 's a yeah. high when it comes off, and you trust these people to put your what 's in your head onto a stage and um, when it comes off well it 's a beautiful thing so you must
0: yeah. I think it'll
1: teach you about performing as well to be a director. Yes, I think you should do everything. I've been a stage manager. I've done lighting boards. I think it helps to do a bit of everything to really understand the whole.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, do anything. The one thing I'm worried about when I go to direct, um, to go into directing, is um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to handle older actors or actors who are well established. Yeah. I think that could be, you know, slightly older than yourself. Have you had that uh, experience of directing Definitely. an older actor?
1: Definitely. And I've seen it in other people directing older actors, and it can be complicated. Often um, what, what it stems from is insecurities on the actor's part. As actors get older, they worry about their lines a little bit. I'm making a gross generalisation here. But um, insecurities, we all have them, and certainly as the sort of you know, the stupidity of youth makes you just think, ah, oh, it's fun. When you get older, you've thought about it more, you have life experience, and I think sometimes it can be a little bit um, daunting and vulnerable to go back on a stage. So I think if you can tap into the fact that it's not about you, yeah. and I always say being a director is a bit like a therapist. You're handling a lot of different personalities, egos, vulnerabilities, uh, worries about their performance, worries if they're going to be made to look stupid on a stage. Um so the calmer and more secure you are in your vision and that you, yeah, you have to be a little bit of like a therapist to them so that they can feel like they can say, oh, you know, I'm worried about this. And you can go, you'll be fine. It's okay. So it's, it's touchy. You're young. And, and so, you know, the more you can build up your skills so that by the time you get to that, you can handle. And you have to know it's not about you yeah. as a director. It's, it's about as them as a performer. And I get it. As a performer, you and I have both been on a stage where we go, oh, my God so you can imagine if um it's, yeah it's it's rapport it's communication it's a it's a a communion between all the people who watch you in a in a rehearsal room and have your back and make sure they don't feel like they're going to be made to look stupid mm. so it's all about ego but not in a bad way in a kind of well how will i look you know will i look stupid can I do this? Can I remember my life? It's sometimes as simple as that. So it's really, you build up your experience, and hopefully when you work with someone who's older, either, you know, on the other side, they might teach you incredible amounts. Yes. So I'm a collaborative director. I like to learn from everybody. Everyone has come up, Some of the best ideas I've had haven't been mine. I'm happy to give credit where it's due, because the more people who are in it to create this lovely little thing that is a production, the better you are if you're surrounding yourself by people who... Have good ideas and use them and try them and just worked with Stuart um, on the Tempest and he is directing Lighthouse Girl at Black Swan and he's a, an actor's director he's an actor too mm. first and um, his incredible generosity to everybody's ideas was quite eye-opening for me to to see how much you don't always have to have all the answers that you can so have a go to see and so many interesting things came out from him allowing that space to breathe and allowing a, a, some an actor to, privilege of coming up with an idea and it being integrated so um, the more it's a collaboration the better I think it doesn't always work but but that's what you should aim for I think and so if you have really established actors who know what they're doing who've been doing it for a hundred years and they are really good at what they do you have to almost trust casting is the biggest thing you can do is cast well and your job is a lot easier when you have cast the people you know can do it without you having to really push them I've come, I've come unstuck with some casting and afterwards gone, ooh, I made a mistake there. So it's not the actor's fault, it's yours because what you're asking of them is maybe not what they're capable of at that moment.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's important, like, I've had, like, directors, you know, performing. I had directors who were, very, like, dictators. And yes. They're, and they would and tell you, OK, you're going to stand there and you're going to deliver, not necessarily a line read, like he would give you some motivation, but mm-hmm. he said you're going to stand like that. And, you know, the old triangle diamond yeah. face out of the audience, don't turn your back, you know. <laughs> and then I've had directors like, um, speaking about The Lighthouse, yeah. um, Helly Turner yeah. directed me many, many years ago when I was a young lad, 15, and she was the, one of those directors. She was, as, I, as I'd like to say, a teaching director. Absolutely. Obviously because she had younger kids and she had um, people from the community. It was a community theatre production.
1: Well, She's hugely experienced, too. so oh, um, yeah. it just wonderful. Her and knowledge
0: like, is incredible. And, like, going through, like... And as a young kid and have no idea of theatre, like, going through, like, Greek chorus exercises yeah. and being told a Greek chorus, and you go, what's Greek? Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, being absolutely. very uneducated and don't have much knowledge of the ancient Greeks. I just find it... Yeah, I find it important, like... As an actor, I'd like to yeah, a director who's very open... Mm. Who, there's that like that open channel, but I'd like to be directed by an older person and get taught. Like I, I, I think like it, it a can teacher, be, both. director.
1: absolutely, I think it can be. But you're younger, so that's oh, yeah. that's uh, the position you're in. Is it's also, but I'm older, and I still think I want to learn. Every time I work with anyone, I want to learn something new about myself or about my my work or about them or about the the piece that we're doing. I think that um the, I mean every director is different, but I think yeah collaborative. But knowledgeable, I think, is helpful. I, I like to be the most knowledgeable person in a room to some extent. Coming here has made me realise how much nicer it is not to be the most knowledgeable. I'm surrounded by some really smart people who really know what they're talking about, and I've learned so much from being in this position. Collaborative to some extent. You can also be so collaborative that something doesn't quite come off because you're trying to listen to two... I think collaborative is to a certain extent, and then you really have to be s- secure in what you're doing and start to mould it into a shape. And sometimes you do have to say, stand there and do that. But it should make sense when you say it, rather than mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and they should be like, OK, I get why you're saying that now. So communication is key. Yeah, I've often I've, I've had experiences where I've been sort of stepped all over as a director because I'm mm-hmm. trying to be their friend, which you kind of want to be, but you also can't be so like that that they take the mickey out of you. I don't know. It's, very, it's a very, cl- very fine line, and I think the more you do it, the more you, you can kind of play with that line. So I'm still learning too.
0: Yeah, it's a funny thing. Like um, last year, I was listening to uh, Simon Callow's autobiography, yeah. My Life in Pieces, yeah. and it's funny. Like he's describing like like a director's like a director's like a field marshal, and then you're you're a teacher, and then you're a, a lover, mm. and then there's these all these different roles that a director plays. Yeah, and oh my god, yeah, I'd i just go around the twist. And <laughs> so
1: I think you get better the more you do it. I tend to work with smaller ensembles I prefer to work with that and working with Stuart on the Tempest where he had 18 kids kids no 18 students was huge you're dealing with 18 personalities 18 you know people living their lives and being tired and coming or whatever and 18 different ways of coming to a role I mean that's pretty huge and that's where I think the more experience you can get and you won't know until you do it and sometimes there'll be moments when you think this is all not working Um, but isn't that kind of the wonderful what's the famous creativity circle that's you know this is amazing oh this is okay oh no this is terrible oh god what am i doing i should quit oh my god oh maybe this will work oh then this is amazing and it's that circle we all have in the creative arts that's doubting and worry and then oh it kind of comes off and but you have to learn from every experience that you have so i've learned how to cast better i've learned how to be more of a Leader, but not lead, you know what I mean, but not be the boss. And so I'm working with Kylie on Sparrow, yeah. and she and I have worked together on a couple of productions, and we work really well. So it's less. She's very trusting of my abilities, and I'm very trusting of her abilities. So it's more of a dialogue than it is uh, me directing her to move in a certain way. But start directing. Direct one person. Direct two people, and and get going, and then start to learn how actors work. And and as an actor, you'll come to it. From that, because you know what it feels like to move in a space and to stand, and what it feels like to have you back to the audience. And
0: yeah, you, know, you know, the interesting thing is, if I look, if I don't, some just by you know, by luck, by fortune, by you know, the sure not game, but you know, the statistics. If I don't make it into like a professional artist, the one experience I want to have before I die is, and this this applies to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I'd love to be because I've always been in a room, you know, in, in, in a production where all the actors have got all these second jobs, um, they're, they're teachers and they whatnots and, and their students, mm. and they've got like all these second lives. I've never been in a room where I've just, I've just, like, this is a professional actor who mm. only acts. Yeah. I've never been in that room. And I'd be very curious, like, in a rehearsal room or like a writer who just writes.
1: Yeah, I'm only starting to get to that myself now. Yeah. And um, there's uh, something wonderful about it because I, I went into the reading for The Lighthouse Girl because Stuart was kind enough to let me come in and, and listen. And they, these are professional actors, and that's what yeah. they do. Um, all of them have second jobs, though, even as professional actors. But what they come to it is, is a sort of knowledge in, if, of their own abilities, that that's what they are.
0: Hmm. You have to claim it. Yeah.
1: It's really hard to claim. I... I didn't claim being an actor for years and then I've only just claimed being a theatre director by coming here. So you have to claim that that's what you are because I think people think it's a funny, you know, how dare you call yourself an actor or something. So I think if you can claim yourself as being, this is what I do and this is my profession and I will work hard at it, um, you're halfway there. Mm -hmm. But we all of us, even you, when you're talking, you're going, well, I guess I'm an actor and I, you know, but you're not. You've now spent three years studying at WAPA to be a performer. That's what you are. Whether you go on to have a career in this, that is what you are right now. And there's no reason why you won't have a career. You know, Sam Chester, who's here, who's our movement.
0: Head of movement, head yes, of movement
1: yes. She I, I'm somebody who's likes to know what the next five years looks like. And she said, just do one project and enjoy it and then see what happens next and enjoy that one and just take it. You can't see five years ahead of time. It's too hard and it makes us go crazy and we never know what the next thing is and she said while you're in your project do it to the best of your ability and then move on to the next thing so you're, what you're doing here you're you you you're running a blog and you're doing it to the best of your ability that's you don't know what what comes out of what you're doing now so you sometimes can't know so you just have to enjoy the moment it's easier said than done but it's a re- it's really good advice to not make yourself go crazy but you you came here and spent 3 years studying for a reason and I have come back to study for a reason, and that is because this is what we do, and this is what we love to do, and it's part of who we are. No one would choose this profession unless we were compelled to do it. It's a hard world, but it's a beautiful world, and the people you meet as you're doing it are are gems. You just have to find your tribe and stick to them and work with them.
0: That's the thing, that's what I'm doing. I'm hunting for a tribe, I'm trying to gather a tribe.
1: Yeah, it can be hard.
0: It is, I think that's one of the hardest things, like one of the things that my time here, It opened my eyes because, you know, I just thought just to label yourself as just an actor. Mm. But then this introduction, and I've never heard it before, artist. And I'm very old-fashioned and, you know, all sort of classical, you know, going through a community theatre and you bump into semi professional actors Mm. who who are old and just do uh, acting, you know, for the sake of it and there's, you know, no work. And coming from that world... Yeah, this, this, this term of artist, like mm. you're not just an actor anymore. You have to be an artist, one, economically. Mm. Um, also, you have to be more than just an actor because it helps your practice as an actor better if you also direct, if mm. you also write, if you also produce. Mm. Um, I,
1: I think that can be true. I think the, whole, the older system has changed, and I think it doesn't hurt. I think a lot of people do that so that they have their hands in lots of different pies because waiting for one thing to happen can take a long time. So while they're waiting, they'll also shoot sure a film and they'll also do this and do that. I agree. Sometimes it can feel like it's overwhelming. I like the idea of being an artist is not... And that's a hard thing to say to someone, especially when they don't understand our world, because they think it sounds wanky. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and they think... But, just... but you know, if you're a painter, you're, you're an artist. And, yeah. and they don't have the same pressures to define what that means. But we work hard. We work hard at when we're, we're working and we... We, we're constantly thinking in an artistic way. So we have to reclaim that word artist and not have it be lofty. But that's just what we do. We create something out of nothing.
0: I think yeah, it's the idea of it's a, a way of life.
1: It is. It's we don't look at the world in the same way, and that's not a bad thing. You know, some, as we know at school, kids are better at math, they're better at science, they're better at this, and they all, we all branch out in our own way. And we don't look at the world in the same way as a mathematician. But they, don't, they will also be like, I don't look at the world in the same way as you guys. And they'll probably feel the same way. That it's a bit weird that they don't think of things the same way that we do. So it's just a w- way of reclaiming that concept and just go, look, I look at the world and I see, you know, I'm always taking pictures. And I listen to music and I cry. And that's just the way we are. And it's taken me a long time to get to that. When you're young, it's quite hard to own it. So there's something about ownership that I really think I've learned in the last couple of years. Of going, yeah, I am. I know it sounds wanky, but no, no, an no, artist no. doesn't just be like I, I, I'm creating. It's actually you're working hard towards a goal, and that goal is a product.
0: And whilst you're also defying the odds,
1: absolutely. So actually, I think it's a it's a, an act of rebellion to to be an artist in this mm. day and age and not conform and but know that that's our personalities and that's where we we're made. We don't look at the world in the same way. And thank God. My son, who's sitting right behind me, Mm -hmm. looks at the world in a completely different way from me, and I think he's a little artist because he sees things in the sky and in the trees that's different from me. And I love it, and I I actively encourage it because I think if we all think the same way, how boring that is. It's hard. It's ownership, I think. We have to own it. And, you know, on a passport form when I fly out of the country, I write theatre director now, and that's mm -hmm. what I am. And it's taken me, hello, how many years? 35 years to say that, you know? You're at the beginning of your career, so it can be hard to take ownership of it yet. But you are. You have an agent. You're an actor. You're a performer. You're a writer. You're a divisor. You will be a director.
0: Hopefully one day. You will, for sure. If If you want it, you will. And if anyone's listening to this and want an actor, a writer, a director, please contact me, email me. Um,
1: But I do agree with make your own work. Because sometimes people aren't going to give you a chance. So I started my company with the view of how do I make the work I want to see in Perth, which I'm not seeing, and how do I show people what I can do? So I'll put my money where my mouth is, and I call it an investment. I invest in myself. I invest in what I do so that I start to build up a career of work that I can then go see what I've done. So it takes time. I came to this in, you know, how old am I? 38, 2010, 31 I started it, and I... I knew that I, and now seven years on, I'm like, oh, look what I've done. And at the time, it was just, okay, you start with this, and what's next? Okay, I'll do that. And maybe I'll go over here and I'll do that. And you start building it up. So you're starting much younger than I am, so you'll be absolutely
0: fine. Oh, we'll <laughs> wait and see. No. Ten years' time when we revisit. When we're
1: both on Broadway, is that what you mean? Yes. <laughs> well, we'll
0: just do the dressing room. Yeah. Got it in New York, and we'll just have right. a coffee. Have a coffee. A coffee. <laughs> and we'll talk. An interesting thing that I'm interested in, like readapting the classics, and I'm looking forward, because you know how time is progressing. Mm. Samuel Beckett, for mm. instance. One day his works shall be in the public domain, because he died, because you know the rule is yeah, 70, 70 years, years from the date of the death. And he died in 1989. Mm. When, oh, I think that's 50 years from 1989. Yeah, I think, I, don't know. I think in 50 years' time, if I don't direct, I am definitely going to direct, because one of his plays that I'm really interested in, and actually want to do for Fringe next year, if all goes well, mm. Waiting for Godot. That's a hard play. I know, it's a hard play, but I'm really obsessed about it. And actually, I'm actually um, going to shoot a three-page scene, make like a little short mm. film in the, the Helena Valley. Just this
1: scene. Well, that's, I would say forget waiting for the public domain. I would say go out oh, yes. and shoot something similar that's like oh, Godot that has a similar feel to what you are responding to in Godot and dilute it because it, I don't know if you've ever seen it live. But it,
0: oh, and yes, I have, I've seen with uh, when Ian McKellen was here. Same here.
1: So, I, I, mean, it's, I mean, they were great, but yeah. oh, I find Beckett really hard to unpack. Yeah. So... What I would say as as an adapter is I would say go take a con- the concept of what you like out of it and make your own mm. thing and adapt it. You know, you don't have to wait for Public Domain for that.
0: No, no. But if you
1: want to do it, I don't think it's that expensive.
0: Well, to I, do, I do want to, no. But what I really, I want to do an all-female production of Waiting for Godot. I...
1: Love it. They wouldn't wait that long. They'd get fed up and leave. Well, that's
0: the thing. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I, wait that long. <laughs> I remember like... Speaking about Ian McKellen, I remember how, when his journey in Waiting for God I happened way before he did in the West End and before 2009, when he was first in talks to doing it with um, Sean Mathias. That's right. Yeah. It was talk that he was going to do with Judi Dench. Interesting. But the reason why they, they that didn't it was it was so close to happening that he was going to play opposite Judi Dench the two tramp roles, but the problem was he was this state and it was the nephew of Samuel Beckett. And he's like, you know, to stay ah, faithful yeah, no, be- to my Yeah,
1: that's, that's why the public domain, of course, because, yeah, there are some people who don't want their... Um, in fact, they're quite militant, Beckett's yeah. state, And fair enough, he wrote very specifically. and yeah. he, was, he was a very, very specific um, vision. So that's why I'm saying you can take something and subvert it and be, without having to conform to his estate. Something, something like, like waiting for, for Godot. Godot. Write it. Write it yourself. Yeah. Take inspiration from Godot and then and make it about because it's it's about time and oh, time yeah. passing, and then nothing really happens. There's that's a lot of saying? existential concepts come out of it.
0: Oh yeah, and see so that's a I know because there's this wonderful sort of vaudevillian sort of you know,
1: which I see in you. I yeah. see that that vaudeville oh, yeah. is very yeah, and, and that's and that's great. You know what you're good at and know what draws you and, and dabble in that for a while and, and see what works. Um, but never, ever stop it for that reason. Never, ever stop an idea because you can't get the rights to it. Just write your own in homage to
0: Beckett. You <laughs> just have to, be, have to sort of stay away from this. Day. Can
1: I tell you something I've yeah. learned? This is the best advice I can give anyone is we all think we're frauds. So, talking to people here, um, talking to actors, directors, we all think we're frauds at some point. We all don't really think we know what we're doing. So, you just have to believe that that we're all in the same boat, that we all feel, we're judged by what we do. On, on a very short pe- period of time, we're judged on a show that we do or how we perform in something. It can be very disconcerting. But... I say to people, God, I feel like I'm such a fraud. They're like, oh, God, me too. Mm. And they're so much more established okay. than I am. And so you think, well, we're all in the same boat. And we're all just kind of cracking on. So if you feel that way, don't let that stop you. It just um, be really specific about what you want and work to that short-term goal and then move on to the next thing. And from that, things will grow. But you know, we are all in the same boat of feeling slightly inadequate and like everyone else knows more than we do. And that's one thing I've learned about coming here, is that we all feel the same way. But we are all just trying to create something beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I expect to see an all-female Godot homage Uh, (laughs) next year at Fringe. Next
0: year. (laughs) Because time is ticking. But, 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 not not yet. I'm not going to stop yet. Um,
1: We could talk about time in Godot style. You I don't know
0: what I'm touching. Sorry. (laughs) I think think it's just the... Yeah, I hope so, but I remember when I used to have a wart on my toe. I remember there's this particular band-aid that looked like that, but I don't think it's on the tape. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. To- <laughs> well, I-, I wanted to talk more about Sparrow and yep. unfortunately I didn't get to see it.
1: That's okay, it'll come back, don't worry. I hope it does. Yeah, no, that's okay. okay. We're so busy and I-, I miss everything the first time around. I was, I'll just tell you a little bit about it. My mother is a writer, she's an author. And she was talking about something one day, and we were talking about a book that she was writing. And she said, um, You know, D.H. Lawrence came and stayed in Western Australia. And I went, No, I didn't know that. So I looked it up, and he stayed, he came over here in the 1920s, and um, did a, he came to WA, and he stayed in a guest house up in Darlington, run by a lady called Molly Skinner. He then went on to Sydney, and he wrote Kangaroo in Sydney, and then moved on to America and started, kept working. Mm When he was here, he spent two weeks up in this guest house. Molly Skinner was a nurse and uh, midwife, but also a writer. And during the stay, they started chatting and she sent him a manuscript that um, she had written. And he took it and the first time ever he rewrote it and they had joint um, authorship of it. And it did fairly well. And... They wrote letters to each other for the next couple of years of, of how to work together and collaborate and all this kind of stuff.
0: Wow.
1: A lot of people here do know that. I didn't know this at I the time. And when I, met her, when I discovered her, all the writing about her was in relation to D.H. Lawrence and how no one could believe that he would want to collaborate with a sort of 50-year-old woman who wasn't very attractive and all this kind of stuff. And I found that that dismissed her as a sentient human being. So I thought, huh. Who is she not in relation to D.H. Lawrence? And she's this incredibly interesting woman who kind of bucked social conventions at the time and just wanted to be a writer and also felt like a fraud. And, you know, um, because she didn't have a lot of money, she had to do this other job. And if she just had time to write, she would have been so much bigger than she was. But she's in the canon of famous, you know, WA women writers like Mary Durack and someone like Henrietta Drake Brockman. So she's, she's kind of... Famous but not famous here. And I I thought that was something interesting that she's kind of a forgotten woman and that all the literature that's been written about her in the last 50 years has been about her relationship with Lawrence which was actually really sweet but in a way that no one can believe that this spinster you know could have fascinated him. But actually it was quite a meeting of minds and she wrote an autobiography called The Fifth Sparrow and that's what I'm adapting as kind of who is this woman and, and and where does she stand and What is her voice, and I'm kind of fascinated by that. So she's kind of forgotten.
0: So is it focusing on Molly Skinner? Yeah.
1: So it's it's she was
0: old um, because is it's the fifth? Is that semi-autobiographical? No, it's autobiographical, autobiographical, but it was it
1: was um, edited by Mary Durack, who's a very famous woman writer here, and kind of edited in a way that has kind of pulled her out of focus. And other people have written theses on that, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to f- figure out who she was. And she was human and, and and had, you know, terrible ideas and great ideas, and she just... She was born disabled. She was born with a cleft lip, Aww. and then she went blind at the age of six and then regained her, her sight. So she's kind of disabled as she's walking through life and feels I... inadequate and feels uh, mm-hmm. ugly and therefore not worthy. And it's kind of... We haven't changed that much from how disabled people feel nowadays, and how people judge. So there's, it's very timely, and I think I, I, I'm fascinated by women who aren't written into the history books. So, to me, she's fascinating.
0: She um, sounds absolutely fascinating. Oh, it is! It's
1: fantastic, and I hope that by by writing a show about her, people go, "Oh, who was she? I'll look her up and maybe discover some more of her work." Um, and I think that had she had more time and not been weighed down by all kinds of life experiences, that she would have become a greater writer. Well, yeah, inspirational. Cool.
0: Well, bloody hell, if I, <laughs> I went lotto, I'll be definitely going to Hollywood Fringe, San Diego Fringe <laughs> to catch Barrow. No, it's going to come back. It will uh, come back here because it will have a
1: final performance
0: here. In okay. fact, we're
1: probably going to have a um, fundraising performance, so I'll let you know. That
0: would be good. Yeah. I, don't th- I think fundraising performances are good because last year they had a fundraising performance for um, this Fringe show. That it, I watched it. It was one of the like. It was, it was the year that I wasn't performing, so I could I could I, I had that privilege, I had that leisure to watch shows. Absolutely. Um, girl in the woods. No, girl in the wood.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, they did.
1: Uh, was, yeah, I didn't it? see it.
0: Yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah. It was about this girl. Uh, it's sort of like a take children's theatre it was sort of aimed for children sort but it's definitely not it's a wonderful story about a girl who goes to the wood and sort of, and it was sort of shaped as if it was being told as like a, a children's mm. fairy tale but her brother gets lost in the wood and gets sort of possessed by this demon and this girl has to go on a journey to say to collect these artifacts to feed the demon and save her brother right and it is wonderful th- it's, just, it's just it's a wonderful folklore and that's what I love. I love folklore, and I love like Greek mythology and Norse mythology. Yeah,
1: there's so much to draw from from there. And yeah. you do, when you look into it, you realise how much modern day steals from... <laughs> I mean, Shakespeare did. Shakespeare stole from oh, yeah. myths, and we've all been t- retelling the same stories. Really, there are no more stories left to tell if you think about it, but there's a universality to good theatre, and that's what I'm trying to capture, is, is we, we should all be able to understand this woman, even though she lived 100 years ago. And at a time that's really interesting in WA history, and um, but also as a disabled woman, she thought of herself as disabled, and she didn't want to have kids because she didn't want to pass on her defects. And there's something very uplifting about her story, even though it sounds quite tragic. And she sort of never lost faith. And more and more want to tell women's stories and the forgotten women. I think that's interesting too, you know. And we're all flawed, and you know, it's not a perfect. You know, she's not a perfect person who needs to be deified. She's just a human being and i don 't think humanity changes across the years. I think it all becomes we understand love and we understand hate and we understand jealousy and we understand you know inadequacy and all that kind of thing. so fingers crossed it 'll come across well. you never know you 've got to have
0: a go you have to yeah. definitely, and as i 'm looking at the time, yes, we are run out but but before we leave and before I press the button to stop mm-hmm. recording this conversation, this is a sort of a developing sort of sign-off question. So, Susie, in the year twenty twenty-seven, when we will meet again, of course, on Broadway. Sure. Oh, I prefer the West End, actually. Yeah, let's do the West End. West End at one of our uh, at a cafe. What would you like to plug? Um, I, I say that in the sense of uh, like a play, an autobiography, a PhD. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, you can't plug a PhD. No, you can't. Well, you can, but I don't think anyone would be interested. Um,
1: <laughs> I'd love to plug the fact that I might be um, the new artistic director of oh. the Globe. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm aiming for—AD of, of the Globe or the RSC or Bell Shakespeare or something like that. That's what I'd like. That's the plan. Oh, that'd be awesome. So we'll see. <laughs> well, so you just, yeah, baby steps. You take each step, and it's one step closer. Or. My well-known, long-running, one-woman show about my life. I don't know. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> Why not? Anything could happen.
0: Oh, definitely. I'd like to... Or performing
1: you... in Les Miserables. I have so many goals, it's not even funny.
0: <laughs> oh, far out. <laughs> not all of them are realistic, but they all fun. One, I'll definitely, like, within those ten years, hopefully next year, um, I'd definitely love to see that... Um, that uh, That production with that 70-year-old lady?
1: Well, hopefully Fringe 2018. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, she's brilliant. She's had a hard life. And she's another... Sorry to go running, but she's someone who in her... um, I think in her 40s, her husband divorced her. And it it broke her. Mm -hmm. And to build herself back up out of the ashes of the person that she was, she wrote a one-woman show, and it was very cathartic for her. And she put it on, and it did really well. About 10 years later, she decided to do another one as a kind of what's the next progression of her life since this awful event that happened to her. And this is the third part. And I love that she has... doesn't care who turns up, she needs, she needs to write this story and is compelled to tell her story to heal and to be part of her own inner kind of, you know, healing. And I find that really powerful, and that's what theatre should be about, as a compulsion to tell a story. And it doesn't matter who sees it. But the the act of performing in it in front of people... And telling something that's true to her is powerful. And that's what theatre is. It's storytelling. And it's telling your story in a way that we can all relate. So I'm all for it.
0: Here, hear. Susie, thank you.
1: Thank you so much.